Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 268 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, your host. Our topic today is summer snow and fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Fetal alcohol spectrum disorders is the name, the title, for several types of physical, brain, and nervous system disorders which may occur in the unborn child when a woman drinks alcohol, even in small amounts, during any stage of pregnancy, and even before the woman knows she's pregnant. Fetal alcohol spectrum disorders last a lifetime, have no cure, though some medications and behavior therapy may help, but no one treatment is right for every child. The most serious type of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is fetal alcohol syndrome. And syndrome just means a collection of problems, of health problems. Um, Fetal alcohol syndrome may result in death of the unborn child, growth defects before and after birth, including abnormally small brains, abnormally formed bones, abnormalities in some organs, abnormalities of the face. It may result in reduced immunity to various illnesses. It may result in brain and nervous system defects, which can appear at any time in the child's life and that result in challenges and serious challenges for learning and remembering, understanding and following directions, controlling emotions, communicating and socializing, daily life skills such as feeding and and bathing and in coordination. Fetal alcohol spectrum disorders are the leading cause of birth defects in North America, are the only mental illnesses that are preventable and cause severe challenges for family caregivers, which is why our topic, summer snow and fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Eleanor Millard. Eleanor's professional career in social services began in Dawson City with four years as area social worker in the northern Yukon. She was elected as a member of the Legislative Assembly for Ogilvy, Dawson City, in 1974 to 
1978, during which time she became Minister of Education, Recreation, Housing and Employment. She served on boards for adult literacy, social advocacy, third world development and the Yukon Territorial Health and Social Services Council, among others. She's the author of a research report on kinship care in the Yukon. She founded and is active in the Grandparents' Rights Association of the Yukon and the Stephen Lewis Foundation's Grandmothers to Grandmothers organization. She's authored novels based on her experience with First Nations and her latest novel, Summer Snow, is based on on her own experience of adopting a child affected by fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So welcome to the show, Eleanor. Oh, thanks for having me. Great. Now, first question for you. Please tell us more about your life, your career as an author and researcher, and your experience with family caregiving. Eleanor? Well, uh, I guess my life really circles around the Yukon. I came here in 1965 for a summer job, and I've been here ever since. It's not an uncommon story about the North. Um, I was a social worker in Dawson for four years, and uh, then I went on to uh, work in literacy and um, English as a second language, and I had various jobs in between, moved to Whitehorse, and now I live in Carcross in the Yukon. Um, I, I was first published when I was 60 years old, uh, a book called River Child, which is based on my social work experience in uh, Dawson, and it was printed uh, in 2002. Then I self-published my memoirs called Journeys Outside and In. We call everything outside the Yukon outside, anything uh, lower than the 60th parallel. And uh, that's a memoir that I had self-published in 2007. Then uh, five years later, I now have Summer Snow, uh, which was also self-published in 2013. Now, I want to... Okay, I'm just wanting to interrupt you because I want you at this point to tell us about this novel, Summer Snow, and its setting. Eleanor? Well, the setting is the Yukon. Um, It's about a teacher who lives in Carcross, and um, she uh, is married when she comes to Carcross, ends up divorced. And they, the couple were fostering a First Nation child who is affected with FASD. Um, and so she uh, experiences this firsthand and uh, tries to find out what's going on. It, the novel starts in 1980 or thereabouts uh, when not much was known about FASD. So she travels to Ross River where the child comes from and uh, tries to figure out the family history. She goes to professionals to find out what FASD is and trying to get a diagnosis. Um, About half the experiences in the book are my personal ones with my own daughter who I adopted when she was seven. The characters are totally invented, although... um, My objective in writing it was really to promote empathy amongst the readers about the condition. I think that with fiction, people relate emotionally far better than with nonfiction, and um, it seems to be working. 
the focus in the book is on Amanda's experiences and her feelings about FASD and living in a cross-cultural uh, situation in the village. The title Summer Snow is really a metaphor for living with FASD. It's uh, anyone who's lived in the north has experienced summer snow, and it's both exciting and makes you dismayed. You think it's a little bit um, difficult. So that's Summer Snow. Right. Now then, going to switch, I'm going to ask you to tell us about your research report, Kinship Care in the Yukon, and explain to us what, what kinship care actually means and how it relates to fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Eleanor? Uh, well, kinship care really is uh, children who are being cared for by relatives who are not their parents. Um, could be uh, grandparents, a lot of them are. Uh, could be an aunt or sister or sister or brother. Uh, so it's someone who's uh, related to the child. In um, 2008, because I was uh, working with the Grandparents' Rights Association, I uh, put in an application to the Gordon Foundation for um, funding to do research with the Little Sam and Carmax First Nation, which is in Carmax, 100 miles north of Whitehorse, to do research on uh, what's happening with grandparents looking after their grandchildren in the Yukon. And I had a trainee, a First Nation woman, Elizabeth Hawkins, from the LSCFN, and the two of us uh, visited and um, did research on uh, 59 families through the spring and summer of 2008. Uh, there were 130 children involved, and two-thirds of those children were grandchildren of the families they were living with. Eighty-two percent of them were being looked after full-time, and 68 percent were First Nation. Uh, two-thirds of the people looking after the children had cared for kin, to kin in, the, in their past. It wasn't a new thing. Um, and a few were official foster homes through the social uh, health and social services, but not many. I was interested to see that a lot of them didn't want to be involved with the social services system because they they then had to confront their own children's care for their grandchildren, and of course, then the child would be taken into care, and the social workers were would be telling them what to do with the kids. So they weren't very happy with that. So a lot of them were just looking after the children without any support. The recommendations that we made in the report were a lot wanted financial help. There's no question. And there are places in the provinces where financial help is available, not in the Yukon. They also wanted social supports like respite care so that they could get away for a holiday and uh, especially the older grandparents, it was pretty exhausting. Uh, they w wanted counseling for the parents. They were very, most of them were very concerned about their own children. And uh, the main concern was that there be an alternate system of fostering, which some provinces have as well, they, uh, so that they don't have to belong to their regular foster system. 
there are justice issues involved as well about custody and access to grandchildren. Just say a little bit more about the custody and access challenges. What are those? Uh, Well, a lot of grandparents have problems. Uh, They may even be looking after the children, and they don't have custody of them, so they ultimately can't make any real decisions about them. Uh, For instance, they can't even drive across the border to Alaska with them without uh, permission of the parents. Um, And uh, with the access problems, it's... uh, one of the most difficult things that I get phone calls about is, is access to their own grandchildren. If they're having difficulty with their children, then uh, the child is used as a kind of buffer between the grandparents and the uh, the daughter or son. And uh, so they restrict the access of the grandparents to the child. That's a very difficult situation and it's one of the things that we're going to be talking about uh, in segments to come but right now we're at the time where we have to take the break Uh, this is where I like to say we have to pay the rent so we'll do that now so this is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest is Eleanor Millard you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio please stay with us we will be back Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life. What does success mean to you? Is it being just like the person on the other side of the fence where the grass is supposedly greener? We harbor too many feelings of envy and suppressed anger targeted at others, and it's holding us back from our success. Tune in to Wealthy Thoughts with Richard Levy. Just by listening, you'll be empowered to make positive lifestyle changes to live the successful life that you deserve to live. Wealthy Thoughts can be heard every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back 
to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Eleanor Millard. Our topic is summer snow and fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Now, Eleanor, I want to talk about the principal character in your novel, Summons, Summer Snow, and the challenges that she experiences. So first, first off, please describe the principal character you highlight in Summer Snow and how the challenges she experiences reflect your findings in your research into kinship caring in the Yukon. Eleanor? Well, the main character is Amanda Corelli. She's married to a um, volatile Italian from Toronto, and the two of them come to Carcross, where she's a teacher. She becomes very excited by the First Nation culture here and uh, spends a lot of time with Mabel, who is a foster home. And Mabel is a First Nation from Carcross, Aggie's First Nation. And she would uh, sets up a cultural camp on one of the lakes so that she takes children out to teach them how to uh, get back into the roots of their culture. They have quite a friendship going. And um, Amanda also has a friendship with a priest who is a Cree, Father Jacob. Um, and then... Uh, Mabel is looking after Tracy, the girl, the little girl, and suddenly she has to, uh, she's forced to find another place, another foster home for her. So it ends up that Amanda is fostering Tracy. So Tracy, whose name is actually changed partway through the book, um, she becomes Christine when they find out from her family that that's her real name. And it, the novel travels through about um, from ages 9 to about 24 or 25 for, for Christine. Um, the FASD affects everybody around Tracy. Um, it affects the relationship that Amanda has with Jacob, with Mabel, with her husband. Her husband is very upset about this uh, child coming into their lives and a difficult child. So... I have found that in my in my research, there were um, there was one example anyway of a sister who was looking after her younger brother, who was affected by FASD. He was a real handful. He was stealing from people who had come to visit in the house, and he was even um, proceeding to do uh, sexual things with one of her young babies. And so she was really distraught, and especially particularly because her husband didn't want the man there. It was a really difficult situation, and it really outlined to me why we needed to have um, accommodation, residential accommodation for older children with FASD. Right. Now, next question about Amanda. Why why did Amanda adopt the young girl? And what, what... Tell us a bit more about the young girl's story and what parts of her story signal the challenges that they both, Amanda and the young girl, Tracy, um, will subsequently experience. Eleanor? Well, um, the reason why Amanda adopted her, I think, was her love for children. She uh, was very close to her, her students. 
and and also her commitment to the First Nations. She was uh, really involved with the cultural camp, and, uh, and she became very excited about all that. And I think really, basically, she wanted some security for Tracy. That's why she adopted. She could have stayed on as a foster mother, but for many years, Tracy had been in and out of foster homes, and um, she really was moved by the fact that uh, that the, the the poor girl had had such a hard time going from foster home to foster home. Tracy came from Ross River, which is in a little First Nation community in the eastern part of the Yukon. Her mother died in uh, basically of alcoholism, and uh, when uh, Amanda is trying to find out whether what was happening with Tracy, she couldn't figure out why she was pretty odd. Um, she uh, Amanda went over to Ross River to find out from the family, and the family, her uh, a relative of the family, said that her name wasn't Tracy; it was Christine. And that really underlines one of the themes of the novel, I think, which is identity, cultural identity and personal identity. Uh, it's difficult enough with FASD without knowing who you are and where you come from. And Tracy knew she was First Nation, but here she is being adopted by a white professional and in a uh, First Nation community. And Tracy, Tracy Christine is a relatively high-functioning FASD um, person. She's good when there is routine and support. And while she was young, she there weren't any big questions in her life. As she got older, um, she would, of course, as an adolescent, want to make friends and. She was uh, way too trusting with them, and um, and then she'd be angry with them. So all those adolescent pressures were really uh, difficult for her. And as she grew older, she started to drink, and that really was the biggest challenge in both their lives. Now, I'm going to ask you about a particular type of challenge that um, Amanda may have experienced. Well, what will the basically the challenges that she experienced when she tried to learn about, to find out about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Eleanor? Yes, um, Amanda's good friend in the community was a nurse called Anne, and Anne came across this book called The Broken Cord by Michael Doris. It was published in 1989, and basically Michael Doris, a real person, was a social worker in Alaska, and he adopted a young boy who was much more severely FASD than Tracy ever was. But uh, and in the 1980s, there was very little known about FASD, and Anne loans the book to Amanda and Amanda realizes as she's reading that this is what Tracy is. And what I'd like to do is just read a portion from the book, if I could, right now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Amanda devoured the rest of the book, a sick feeling growing in her stomach as she read. Words swam before her eyes. Difficulty with peers, poor judgment, sounding more capable than they are. Difficulty with memory, predicting, generalization. Gaps in linking cause and effect. Difficulty with time and money, depression. Too much of it described Tracy. 
Finally, the broken cord said that the frustration caused by a child needing to cope with FAS meant that the child would be irritable, angry, anxious. The exhausting demands of simply living with the world through the distortion of FAS would mean that the easiest thing would be to withdraw, to put up protective barriers of silence. It wasn't willful after all. It was just her brain not working right. Nothing Amanda had done seemed to help Tracy be more normal and happier. The next day, she drove into Whitehorse and made some appointments. The doctor told her there was no system for diagnosing FAS, so he couldn't examine Tracy to determine what might have caused her difficulties. The Department of Education psychologist said the policy of the government was not to label children. They did not even use the term FAS. The child protection social worker in the Department of Welfare had never heard of the term fetal alcohol syndrome and certainly not fetal alcohol effects. She said many foster and adoptive parents become overprotective if they had to deal with children who were disabled in some way or had come from very bad homes. She rose from her desk to open the office door, smiled, and said, Try to maintain some perspective, Mrs. Corelli, and hope for the best. Amanda's appointment with the counseling service was the last one. She described in detail a situation as an example of what she had done in dealing with Tracy and asked what she might have done better. The counselor returned the question to Amanda with, What do you think you should have done? Nearly gritting her teeth, Amanda said, Obviously, I don't know. That's why I'm here. Have you had any experience with FAS? The counselor said, No, not directly. But frankly, what we need to look at is your negative reaction to your frustrations first. The counselor looked at the clock on the wall. Whoops, she said, it looks like our hour is over. You come back next week again. I see you need to have some place you can talk over your frustration. So that didn't help at all for Amanda to uh, try to find some professional support and a diagnosis. So what it comes to is that she, Amanda, was reaching out for help, explanation, advice, guidance. And what she basically seems to have wound up with was some sense that it was all her fault, her reaction, and that she was overreacting to a situation. Is that right? Have I understood what you read right, correctly? Yes, that's right. In fact, one of the biggest challenges she had was with her friends, um, you know, some of them would say amongst themselves that their problem was bad parenting and uh, that she was too controlling. She shouldn't be telling, um, you know, let her grow up, let her uh, make her own mistakes. So that was a big challenge for her. Still talking about those challenges, that's the particular challenge of not really recognizing that there was an illness here. Uh, and you're going to tell me in a moment because I'll ask you whether illness is the right word to use. Um, what Amanda and her daughter were left with was a system that really didn't care enough. Now, first of all, am I right in using the word illness? And secondly, is it right to say the system didn't care enough? Eleanor? Well, it is a condition. It's brain damage. It's it, um, in the development of the brain during, well, it's a fetus. Um, the drinking produces holes in the brain, and even uh, an autopsy can show that the brain is even smaller and 
flatter. It's not uh, convoluted like a normal brain. Also, I wanted to say that it's not just the mother who drinks that's a problem. They're finding now with research that a problem could be with the genetics because of the uh, sperm of the father if he's a drinker. Right. What we're then going to be talking about in the next uh, segment is the kind of challenges and how we respond to them. But our particular challenge now is that we have got to take the break, so we will do that now, and we're coming back to explore this difficult, difficult subject in greater detail. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Eleanor Millard. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Many people are seeking to make a difference in the world, but few actually have the tools to do so. Every week, host Mary Beth Lodge and her guests will have you thinking forward and will give you the tips to keep your life, goals, priorities, and choices on track. The result is an easier, happier, and more inspired life. The name of the program is What Matters. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What really matters is the positive changes that you'll bring to your life and the world just by listening. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Eleanor Millard. Our topic is summer snow and fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Eleanor, let's now talk about how Amanda and her adopted daughter confront the challenges they experienced together and the help they received. First of all, how does Amanda confront the challenges created by her daughter's fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? And how do Amanda's ways of confronting these reflect the ways that kinship carers, that is grandparents and people like that, other family, confront their challenges in similar situations? Eleanor? Well, Amanda learns from uh, hard experience, I guess. It's quite difficult as things go on. Um, there'll be sudden changes with um, with um, Tracy or 
And she, what she does after finding out that nobody knows anything, she tries to do, she does her own research, and she writes a master's thesis in education um, on it. She takes a year off uh, teaching and uh, writes a master's. So she gets to very knowledgeable about it and then eventually ends up as an educator in the school system educating teachers about FASD. And while she's doing that, she finds that there really is very little support. Um, she, uh, People will come up to her and ask her about uh, the, their foster children and uh, their own children and what's happening with them and what can she do about them, and there is very little. There still is very little. Um, and a lot of it, I think, is because they um, they don't take to behavioral modification or to cognitive uh, counseling because they don't remember. They don't ha- have a cause and effect uh, solution to things. And, of course, uh, as I said before, uh, one of the biggest challenges were the people that were around them, her friends and uh, people who should be supportive. Um, the most challenging in the book is when um, Tracy or she start, when uh, Christine starts drinking. She wants to be accepted, of course, and she, so she goes along with it. She has no concept of what it might do to her. It's a self-medicating thing for the stress that she feels. Um, in one case, I remember somebody telling me that uh, a baby who's born with FASD is drunk when they're born, and uh, so you drink on top of that, and and you uh, are really left out in the cold. Uh, real problems, and that's what I found with some of the kinship caregivers that I interviewed. Um, it's mostly difficult for grandparents because they have never really lived with this. Um, themselves. They really are confused about what should be happening. Uh, they're usually not um, as healthy as they might be. They're older and they're on pensions. It's very difficult. So uh, one of the real problems with Amanda and with the people that I interviewed was just maintaining some sense of proportion and some sense of hope trying to understand the situation and accepting it. Right. Now, <clears throat> the community in which Amanda and her daughter live, um, Christine, Tracy, Christine by that time, I think, took up drinking as part, as I understand you, of wanting to be part of the broader community. Um, but that raises the question of how does the community in which Amanda and Christine live help them both confront the challenges they experience. Eleanor? Well, one of the wonderful characters that I like in the book is Mabel, and she's the foster home that uh, Tracy started out in and the good friend of Amanda. She just has unconditional love for everybody. She's quite a Christian and so that's where she gets her strength. She is very pragmatic, um, knows the community, and really um, uh, knows what to do in the, under certain situations. And basically, one of the main things that she does is have this cultural camp where uh, there's a real connection for both Amanda and Christine to um, experience 
their their the past and uh, to um, understand the First Nations. Also, of course, Mabel is a good babysitter whenever Amanda decides to leave. Another element in the novel, I think, that I'm proud of is the whole environment in the Southern Lakes, um, and I think that's a very strong um, portion of the book. Amanda, early on, starts skiing with Tracy, uh, cross-country skiing and hiking. It's not only a pleasure, but it's an accomplishment, and they both revel in this kind of physical um, accomplishment. Another character that's in the uh, community is Father Jacob, the Cree. He's a great intellectual support and emotional support for Amanda and uh, gives comfort and understanding. He also brings his whole cultural background to, to the situation, and it really helps Christine to understand herself. And Anne, the nurse, is a great friend and supporter. These situations, these relationships fall apart, and a lot is due to the FASD. The community is quite conservative, and Amanda is, as she reaches to understand the demands on her life, is increasingly liberal in her thinking. And Mabel, of course, is a a traditional um, evangelical kind of person. And at one point, uh, Father Jacob gives uh, Amanda a hug and a kiss on the cheek, and Tracy sees this, and she misinterprets it, as as FASD people do. And she goes to Mabel and says that um, Jacob and Amanda are in love, and they're going to be married, and they're going to have a family, and so on. And Mabel gets very upset and, and tells Amanda off that she's not supposed to be doing this with a with a priest, and um, she'd better stop. And in fact, then eventually the um, bishop tells Father Jacob the same thing. So things fall apart um, when when they're challenged. And is it right, Eleanor, to say that the FS, FASD, FAS, is the core? of the threat to those relationships that actually then realized itself by breaking them down. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. And, in fact, even the friendship with Anne, um, at one point later on, uh, Christine goes to Anne because Anne is a nurse and, and uh, tells her she thinks she's pregnant and takes takes the girl to a doctor, and yes, she is pregnant. Because of confidentiality, Anne does not tell Amanda that that has happened, and Amanda eventually finds out, and it really splits the friendship. Right. Now, you mentioned accomplishments that um, both Amanda and Christine uh, were achieved, things that they achieved. And what that highlights is the question of the abilities that Amanda recognizes in Christine or earlier in Tracy. And when they do recognize together those abilities, what are the effects on them both of recognizing them? Well, I think Amanda's very uh, very practical about the situation. She, um, of course, they're sharing and hiking together, the physical um, abilities that uh, Tracy has. 
um, she, Tracy or Christine is also very generous and trusting. She makes friends easily, but she loses them too in anger. When uh, when things get a little difficult, she um, gets angry, and so she loses them. And Amanda is always kind of trying to patch that together. Um, Christine is good with children, so she ends up with a lot of babysitting jobs, and she takes a babysitting course and gets a certificate, so she feels accomplished. She's good with their dog. She shows great affection for the dog and responsibility. She never misses to take the dog for a walk and feed her. Um, So I think Amanda recognizes the limitations and tries to adapt. At one point... um, Christine is in grade 11, and she's having a very difficult time. And Amanda, even as a teacher, is shocked to say, you know, maybe you should quit school. No, 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 she wants to go on to grade 12. So Amanda goes to the school counselor and asks if some special consideration could be made for Christine. But no, it's against the rules, and she should know it. So um, she's coming against, again, systems that just won't accommodate anything that's a bit different from the norm. And so where that goes to is, given that this condition makes people different from the norm, then if those differences aren't recognized and understood and accommodated to at least to some degree, then things, as you say, fall apart. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. Now, what that raises also is the question of how, for example, Amanda would recognize um, that things were falling apart from those kinds of reasons, given that Amanda is doing things that do help her daughter, that bring her to her daughter. How does, just very quickly, how does Amanda recognize that things are falling apart? Eleanor? Pretty obvious. Uh, You know, when uh, they plan to do something, uh, Christine just uh, says, no, we're not doing it, or she gets angry, storms out of the car. Um, So it's pretty obvious because Amanda's going along thinking things are going to go this way and they go another way altogether. Okay, and Amanda then recognizes that that's actually the FASD talking and behaving and not really Christine. Is that right? Well, they're really Christine because that's her her condition. And uh, the thing that Amanda has to do is to accommodate that. And there's no uh, other way. She has to be able to understand it and accommodate it and accept it. Good answer. Good, clear answer to that, if I may say so. Now, we've come to the point where we do have to take the break, and we're going to be talking more about the kind of things that we need to be thinking about doing. Um, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Eleanor Millard. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. 
Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. How do you know if you're living with an addict? If you think you know all the recognizable signs, you probably don't. If you're listening to and reading from the so-called experts, you probably don't. You need to hear from a parent, just like yourself, who has been there and can tell you what it's like firsthand. Please listen to Afflicted by Addiction with Bradley DeHaven. Our program is heard every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It just might save your life or the life of someone you love. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about the show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Eleanor Millard. Our topic is summer snow and fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Um, Eleanor, let's now talk about the things you would like to do and you would like to see done to provide more help to confront challenges like those experienced by Amanda and her daughter and by kinship caregivers. Eleanor, you personally, what more would you like to do through your work as novelist, researcher and activist? Eleanor. Well, you know, I think the book was really primarily a personal exploration of my own experiences. It was a cathartic experience writing it, um, and I think it helped me get to a certain level of acceptance. Um, it helps me to put aside some of the anger and depression and whatnot that happens when you're dealing with this kind of thing. Um, it was secondarily for changing social attitudes, um, although that was that seems to be what's coming out of it. Um, I did it for my grandchildren too, so that they would maybe understand their mother, and uh, hopefully it would also help other people to do that. Um, the research I'd like to continue doing would be to uh, find systems for care for adults with FASD because they're really neglected at this point, and uh, for for assistance for the children of adults with FASD. 
who have a very difficult role to hold, if, especially if they're normal, so-called kids. Um, they really um, know more than their mother and father, and, um, and they realize soon on that they can get away with things, and uh, they do. And they, they have a, a great deal of a chance to end up in real problems. Now, I want to ask you what more you would like to see done by the healthcare and social systems. I don't know what you want them to do. You know, I think what they need is assisted living arrangements um, where people who are affected with FASD don't have to live at home. Um, and uh, they they need a place to be where they have 24-hour um, monitoring. Um, and they have freedom, but they also need to have... Uh, a routine and responsibilities. So that's what's needed mostly, I think, is living accommodation and um, also, uh, if not living accommodation, then a great support for the uh, family that's um, living with people with FASD. There needs to be education of the public, uh, education for the families that are living with this uh, condition. And um, as with my grandparents' stuff, um, there needs to be respite. They need to be able to get away from this and um, enjoy themselves. Uh, life is, can't be this gray. They need financial assistance because, um, it, because it takes so much time. A lot of grandparents looking after grandchildren have had to quit jobs so they can be at home with, with the kids. They need legal help. So they know uh, a lot of the uh, boys and young men especially end up in, in court because they don't have any idea that they're doing something wrong and they don't learn from what they've done in the past. So a lot of them are in jail. Um, so we're doing some of this stuff in the, in the Yukon, but certainly we have a long way to go. You earlier on we're talking about the problems the challenges that amanda experienced when she went to doctors um to get some understanding of what it was that she and her daughter were living with um have you any um thoughts about things that you would like to see done by the medical profession my profession the healthcare system in the sense of the clinical care system, or have things improved to the point that you think they're okay now? What do you think, Eleanor, please? Well, things have improved, but they're, they're not all okay. Um, there was a grant for a few years here to diagnose uh, children, and uh, there was a neurologist from Calgary who was contracted to do that over a period, I think, of about five years or so, a grant from the government. I think they did like three or four a year. Well, there are dozens and dozens of people, children too, who need um, the diagnosis. You have to have a diagnosis to get anywhere. And um, it's a very complex diagnosis. You have to prove the um, parent's drinking, which is sometimes they can't even find the parent. Um, so... That's one of the difficulties with the medical profession is, uh, you know, it is a, a scientific approach and uh, 
and that's it. And it has been only with children. Now there's going to be some assessment of the adults. Um, the justice system here has uh, uh, put in some research for researching inmates in, in the jail. And again, it's going to take years to uh, get it done properly. But um, And I'm afraid that what happens is there's all this kind of paperwork done, but, uh, you know, five years down the line is still five years down the line, and there's five years of people who are getting into difficulties in the meantime before they decide what they're going to do about it. Right. Now, I want... This is the last question for you, and it's, in, in some ways, I think, the toughest, and that is this. Um, summer snow, you've said, you've told us, reflects your own personal experience as a family caregiver in the, an FA, FASD situation. It reflects your research into kinship caring. Now, what's your message for family and kinship caregivers who are just starting out on their journey of caring for a young person living with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? What do you say to them, Eleanor? Well, there's a very good publication that was, came out by the Fetal Alcohol Syndrome Society of the Yukon, SASI, called Trying Differently. And they uh, polled a lot of us parents and caregivers of people with FASD and uh, put, put together this good little booklet on Trying Differently. Basically, the people need to have unconditional love. You can't expect them to be normal, or what we would call normal. They, we have to build up a self-esteem because the school won't do it. None of the systems will do it. Um, there also is a very strong need for self-care for the caretaker. Um, advocacy for, for people like this is very hard and uh, very frustrating, very depressing. Um, there has to be routines in the lives, and uh, that sometimes is difficult. Uh, things happen, and you want to go on a holiday, and you're on the airplane, and it's uh, stressful for the FASD child. And um, So a lot of things are difficult when they get out of a routine. There has to be structure, so you have to be pretty strict without punishment, uh, even for the safety of the child. You have to figure out how you're going to handle the moods of the kids um, and your own moods and the anger that uh, that's present and depression in both you and the uh, child. Uh, you have to be able to control the money that's coming in, uh, whether because they have no sense of money or time. You have to be able to monitor their friends so that the friends need to be made aware of, of what might happen. And uh, that's very hard when when. The FASD person may look normal, sound normal, and uh, ordinary, and even good-looking and charming. But really, they, all of a sudden, you realize, what's that person doing? There has to be clear sexual information and clear information about alcohol. In fact, what, what it's been expressed as is you have to act as an external brain for this person for all of their lives. And the main thing, I think, the hardest thing, is to just keep hopeful, just to know that uh, that what you're doing is having some effect. That message of hope is powerful. It's something that should be heard because 
hope it can so easily be lost in this constant struggle with this condition for which there is no cure, um, which can be helped, but which nevertheless doesn't go away. So the idea that there's hope, that you look after yourself, you keep your strength up as family caregivers, and that there's advocacy and activism, Eleanor, that you do and people like you do, that's so important to get that sort of broad message across to the healthcare systems, the justice systems, and the social systems, so that help is forthcoming. Now, we've come to the end of this powerful episode. Thank you, Eleanor. And I want to thank you for all the things that not only you've said and explained on this episode, but that you're doing and that you've done. And I want to wish you every success in all of the things you're doing. Your work as an author, your work as a researcher and your work as an activism activist devoted to activism. Please, please, please keep strong and keep going. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be direct funding for family caregivers in diverse communities. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.